welcome to another edition of White Collar Crimes, the podcast where we uncover the crimes that often don't get coverage by the media that the normal street crimes do. I am Ryan Horn, your host. Great, as always, to have you aboard. Hope you're nice and safe where you are. I know a lot of you listening out west. Uh, My good friend Barry from South Dakota, hopefully he's tuning in. I know uh, they've been buried out in a lot of snow and cold out there. It's been a strange winter where I'm at here in the southern Illinois area. We've had a few blasts of it here and there, but overall a pretty warm and mild winter, which I guess compared to a lot of the other parts of the country, we've been fortunate in that regard because I know out west I've seen some brutal, uh, you know, big dumpings of snow, and I'm hoping that you are all safe where you're at, and uh, hopefully nobody is in harm's way. But we are glad wherever you're at that you are tuning in and listening and we're going to cover on this episode convicted fraudster Shalom Weiss and at the time he was given the largest white-collar crime sentence in history uh, before Mr. Madoff that we've discussed on here numerous times and similar backgrounds Weiss had to Madoff he also grew up in New York to a middle-class Jewish family He grew up working in the family fruit stand and probably like so many of the other white-collar criminals that we have covered on this podcast, he most likely at a very early age showed some good business acumen and probably showed a way to uh, get that business skill going and could have developed it into something very uh, productive and could have made a very good honest living for himself and who knows, maybe even have gotten really wealthy through uh, legitimate business practices. But like so many others and all the ones we cover on this podcast, he did not follow down that path. Now at age 20, he purchased a plumbing supply business, which I would think would be a good investment. Uh, It's a good business to be in. I've got people that I grew up with that went into that field and they're making very good money and doing well for themselves and let's face it there's always going to be a need for plumbers as long as there are homes and businesses uh, that's going to be a need and you know and there's going to be a need to supply that so I would think again probably a wise business to get into and it did well for a while but for some reason which it's not really been explained anywhere that I could find or locate for some reason it went belly up and went bankrupt again it could be from mismanagement on his part or some other type of things that uh, maybe were outside his control who knows but it is kind of odd for a white collar for a plumbing business to go bankrupt so it's remains to be seen who knows maybe someday we will be able to see but for some reason whatever it did go bankrupt and following this he decided to go in a completely different direction and enter the insurance business big leap really from plumbing supply to insurance and unfortunately for him and the people he would later rip off he chose to go into the insurance business now he was a key founder of the national heritage life insurance company I wasn't really familiar with them prior to doing this podcast, and there is an episode on him on White uh, American Greed, for those of you that like that show a lot. He has been covered on there and some other, I believe Corrupt Crimes is one of the other shows that's on a lot of streaming channels and streaming services. You can catch his story on there as well. And uh, you can find out a little bit more about him. And that's when I found out a little bit about this insurance company. It was 
largely based and operating in the Florida area, which they sold life insurances, life insurance and annuities. And the overwhelming majority of their clients were elderly. Of course, you know, if you want to operate in a, you know, market where you're going to target elderly customers, Florida is a good place to start because there, you know, certainly are a lot of elderly people there. I lived, you know, wife and I lived down there for a while and there certainly are a lot of elderly folks down there and that's a good business to target if that's what you're wanting to target and unfortunately those were as I've talked about many times also on this podcast those were some of the ones that were targeted unfortunately in his crimes as I said they sold life insurance and annuities most of their clients were elderly which you know we all know there is a large number of We all know there's a large number of elderly people in Florida, so again, that made it easy for him to have a market to target. At this time, Weiss met a lawyer by the name of Michael Blutrick. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly. And Blutrick was the owner of a fancy Manhattan strip club that was supposedly controlled by the Gambino crime family. Now, we all know the, you know, the Gottis and all the ones that have been involved in this crime family, you know, very notorious New York-based La Cosa Nostra crime family, and he had connections to them. And that's not uncommon either for, you know, most of the time the mafia uh, will operate businesses like that. They will operate nightclubs, strip clubs, things like that. And it will hopefully, uh, you know, be brought more to light over time. People will see a lot of the businesses they're into, although technically legal, they are fronts for money laundering schemes that they are involved in. Usually that money is raised through drug trafficking, weapon trafficking, prostitution, human trafficking, you know, you name it. It's all uh, in there. And that's what, unfortunately, they do. And the two began to purchase shady stocks and mortgages, draining the company of the money that it had. And this money was quickly laundered into separate accounts that were controlled by Weiss. So once again, As we've seen an infinity amount of times in the time that we've covered this podcast, and for any of you that are interested in looking into white-collar crime, the Ponzi scheme is probably the most common white-collar crime committed because it's the easiest to operate. You don't really need a whole lot of capital to get started. You just got to find people to invest in your business and your idea, and rather than pay those investors back, you or invest their money in your business, you keep it for yourself, which is what Weiss and Blutrick did here, opening up separate accounts. That money was supposed to be going for the life insurance policies and annuities of these people who purchased the product, and again, the overwhelming majority of whom were elderly. And this money was quickly laundered into separate accounts, as I said, controlled by Weiss. Over time, investigators would later discover that Weiss and Blutrick defrauded the company out of a total of $450 million. Now, what happens all the time with these, as we talked about over and over, and you know, we'll always point out a Ponzi scheme will go well for a while until investors you know, start wanting their money. They start asking for their money, and then that's when time will catch up and they are out you know, the money that they have to pay up and they don't have it to pay up because they've invested it in their own selves rather than the actual business or product that they have sold. 
And these elderly folks were defrauded on products that they thought that they had invested in. You know, it's a wise investment to uh, invest in life insurance or an annuity or anything like that. And these folks spent honest money, overwhelming majority of whom I would be willing to bet are not rich or wealthy. And they were defrauded while Weiss lived the high life and also Blutrick that they had defrauded these folks of. And they were involved, as I said, in other things. Probably this, you know, strip club that they had going was a very high-end, not so well, uh, you know, honest business. But it was a front where they could launder a lot of other money and things. They were making very good money, but over time, many of these residents and these folks of Florida that were getting defrauded, they want their money. They want things to you know, cash in. And when that money's not there, the Ponzi scheme collapses every time. We've covered it over and over again on this podcast. Now, many that were defrauded were elderly, and the company under Weiss took over through a check-kiting scheme. And, you know, that was a big popular thing I can remember about 30 years ago when they found out a lot of U.S. congressmen and women were doing this very thing, and that is when you just basically write one bad check to cover another. And that will keep going, kind of like a Ponzi scheme, till eventually you run out of checks or accounts to write them on, and the money is uh, owed and you don't have it. And there is a chance to finally, you know, be caught and things come under wraps. And that's what happened to them. One of the ways that they got caught in this scam was simply by check kiting, writing one bad check to cover another. Now, other attorneys besides Blue Trick were involved in this scam and helped maneuver things to keep them outside the scope of law enforcement and to keep their scam going. And it's sad that you had lawyers that are sworn when they take a bar exam to uphold the law, they are sworn to uphold the law, but yet they were using the law here to hide their scams and their secrets and keep them going and using the legal maneuvering rather than for the best of the company. It was for the best of their scam to line their pockets. And who was victimized, as always, the middle class folks, the poor folks, the, the not the wealthy folks. And as I always say at this podcast, especially at the end, you know, to look out for the elderly because they are the ones that are defrauded. They are the ones oftentimes that are captured or not captured up in these scams. And that this was big time one for sure where they were the overwhelming number one target in this scam. Now, the company was finally forced into liquidation in 1995. Many elderly victims had lost their entire life savings, which we sadly see far too many times in white-collar crime. Because a lot of times people, if they don't lose all their savings, they lose pretty near it. And sadly, a lot of times it's, you know, through not always bad investments, but it's through situations where they put all their eggs in one basket, and that basket... It's got holes in it, and it's fraudulent, and that's when things fall apart, and they get scammed. But oftentimes, people lose everything or very near it from these scams, and that doesn't always recover. Some of these victims are elderly, and by the time this could be recovered, if ever, they're not going to see what they lost again in their lifetime. And that is one of the sad results that we see over and over again from white-collar crime. Many of these elderly victims, as I said, this happened just to them, lost their life savings or very near it because they had tied everything up into the life insurance policy so their loved ones would not be left with a lot of bills or debts 
or with an annuity, something to grow and build a little nest egg for themselves and for their families, and it wasn't there. Weiss had used it to live on the high life, and his sleazy crony attorneys, Mr. Blutrick and some of the others that were involved, were the ones living off the high life, ripping off, as I said, to the tune of $450 million, $50 million shy of half a billion. One of the biggest ones in the country, certainly not the biggest. It's nowhere near Madoff when we're talking in the neighborhood of 60, 65 billion. But when you get up in the hundreds of millions, you're talking a big time scam. And this was up there at the top. And at the time, it probably was one of the top couple biggest white collar scams this country had ever seen. So the feds came calling and Mr. Weiss was charged on multiple federal charges. Now, he was initially offered a five-year plea deal, which is astonishingly good when you really think about it, because when you rip off people of $450 million and the most you're going to do in prison is five years, that is a gravy sweetheart deal. But through his arrogance, he rejected that. And in November 1999, he was found guilty in absentia and sentenced to 845 years. And for those of you that don't know, Abstentia is when you are sentenced in your absence. And judges oftentimes I see when I'm in court for my regular job, they will advise defendants that if you flee, if you do not show up for court, you can be sentenced and tried, tried and sentenced and found guilty in abstentia. And he was sentenced to a staggering 845 years, which at the time was the largest and to date, as far as I know, still is the largest white collar crime sentence ever passed down on anybody in this country. Now, Weiss fled this country, and he hid for a while in Israel, various countries in Europe, and even in South America. But he didn't live too much of a low profile for a guy that was a fugitive. He supposedly spent a lot of this money that he had ripped off living lavishly, and he was gambling and also living high on the hog with prostitutes, and spending a lot of that money just living recklessly and partying wildly, which gambling and Prostitution is one way, certainly, you can do that. But he was finally apprehended in 2002 in Vienna, Australia. And I have to make sure I'm pronouncing that correctly because here in southern Illinois, probably 30, 45 minutes south of me, there is a town that is spelled like that, but the locals have always pronounced it Vienna. And I always have to be very careful because I know the correct pronunciation, certainly for the city in Austria, is Vienna. And that's where he was captured in Vienna, Austria, and he was finally extradited back to the United States. Fortunately, he was caught in a country where most likely we have an extradition waiver with. I'm sure we do with Austria, otherwise he would not have been brought back. Now, his sentence was very controversial, and he eventually it was rumored that Jared Kushner, who we remember just a few years ago, was the son-in-law of then-President Trump, Supposedly, it's believed that he put a lot of pressure on President Trump to commute his sentence, which he did prior to leaving office. Now, I do want everyone to know the difference because a lot of people don't always know this. It was a big controversy, I know, a few years ago when President Trump commuted the sentence on Rod Blagojevich. You know, we've covered former Governor Blagojevich on this podcast. He was a former governor right here in my state of Illinois. And when someone gets their sentence commuted by a governor or a president or, or it's like that, a lot of people think it's a pardon. And, you know, I do want to explain there is a difference. A commu- when a sentence is commuted, they are cut loose and the sentence is cut short, but the conviction still stands. And that's the case it was with Blagojevich. He still has that felony conviction. He was still disbarred. He's still not able to practice law. 
the conviction stands. He just got his sentence cut, and I don't remember. Maybe it was about four or five years short, if I recall. I'm not sure off the top of my head, but he got a shorter sentence. Now, pardon is completely different. That's where it's wiped away like it never does happen. And, you know, to be fair, that's always a source of controversy. Any president, whether Democrat or Republican, when they leave office, they, they all it's just a tradition. They issue a lot of pardons, usually the day or so before they leave. And it's always a big controversy, but this was one that it was a little controversial at the time, but at the same time, some felt it was justified because they felt an 845-year sentence, even for that amount of money, was a staggeringly high sentence, which it really in reality is. I think he should have gotten, you know, the rest of his life in prison, but at the same time, he uh, he did get a very long sentence, and they argued it was for a nonviolent crime, you know, on and on. So he tried to get that uh, sentence commuted, which he did get it commuted by President Trump, and he was let out. Now, it also was reported that health concerns had a lot to do with it. Mr. Weiss supposedly was beginning to suffer from a lot of health issues, and it was even reported that he had a stroke about two months later after being released from prison. No word on the current state of health that he's in today. Most likely after suffering a stroke, he's probably not going to be the same that he was before. So who knows if he's going to be able to commit some of the crimes that he did before. He just uh, is out, though, where he can possibly offend again. We always like to take a look from that angle to see if it's possible. He is out as of a few years ago, so he knows he knows he could probably, if he does have the energy and want to do it again, he knows he has the possibility to do it. It's whether or not he has the physical capabilities after having a stroke that, I guess, is yet to be determined. But we'll see. But he is out there now. His sentence was commuted, although the conviction still stands. I'm sure with that conviction, he's still not able to operate in the insurance business, thankfully. So in that regard, he can't defraud anyone. But as I always point out on this podcast, too, there's nothing to stop him from working as a quote-unquote consultant behind the scenes where he's actually running things. So be careful and look out. And that's what we always encourage you to do on there. Look out for your elderly friends and family especially. Look out for all your friends and family because there's scammers around every corner. And we want you to be able to look out there for them and keep an eye out on them because they are out there on every corner. And we want you to keep supporting this podcast. Tune in. Like our Facebook page. Be sure to uh, give us a five-star rating on Spotify or Apple Podcasts wherever you hear us because that helps us keep it going because there's just not a lot of podcasts that cover crimes of the elites in society and that's what we want to continue to do here so we hope you can continue to support us and we do thank you very much that we are growing numbers keep going up and i'm very thankful for all of that and also if you are ever needing voiceover work as we say check out my website at ryan-horn.com got some audio books out now soon i'll have sons of liberty coming out with beacon audio books And another big announcement coming, hopefully in the next podcast or two, an announcement coming on one I did for Cherry Hills Publications. So be sure and check those out. And be sure and check out your local animal shelter to adopt your next best friend. Wife and I have adopted all three of our dogs and two of our cats from there, and we couldn't be happier making uh, our home with our best friends that we've adopted from these shelters. So be sure and support them. Not only that, if you can't adopt, like I always say, volunteer your time, donate your money whatever you have to do. Well, be sure and tune in soon. We are going to also have a podcast coming up. We've got one 
on how greed is a deadly sin. We're going to look at it from that angle with how it can lead to moral corruption and the destroying of lives. So be sure and tune into that one and the others that we have coming up. We'll be back next Tuesday. Thank you for tuning into this one. God bless and take care, everybody.